Hi, we're Lisa and Angie. Welcome to another episode of Pep Talks and Prosecco. If you like what you see and hear, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends and family. We are all about building community. Cheers. Cheers. Bubbly and hang out with some awesome people. Oh man, or the with just each other. Yeah, the bubbly's good, and the guests today. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we we have the um, unbelievable, the amazing Kelly Garrett, who is joining joining us today. And I've known Kelly for a very long time, um, a couple decades actually, if I'm going to be completely honest. And uh, through that time, she's gone from being an executive powerhouse to being a life coach and executive coach. And she's also had an interaction with one of our beloved gurus, Brene Brown, that I'm telling you, the rest of the world would only wish they could have this opportunity. So I don't know, without any further ado, I think we should just get the show on the road and sit back, relax, get your favorite little beverage and enjoy our interview with Kelly Garrett. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Kelly Garrett. Thank you for coming on to Pep Talks and Prosecco. Cheers, Lisa and Angie. Oh, you guys, this is a big freaking deal for me today because I have had the privilege of being part of Kelly Garrett's life for more years than her and I maybe are going to share today. Um, <laughs> and, and a while ago, I had one of the greatest compliments ever made to me. And I had someone say to me, you know, Angie, when you're in the room, I feel stronger. I, I feel like I can, I can do more than I could ever dream before. And when I heard that, I was like, I know so many people that I've surrounded myself with, but then I have this smaller group of people that I feel that exact same way about. And Kelly, you have always been one of those women for me. When you're around, I feel like... I am completely unstoppable. And I know I'm not alone because I know a lot of people that know you. So I cannot wait for all that you're going to share with us and contribute to our community in this episode today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So Kelly, Angie obviously has known you for a long time, but some of us, like myself, are just getting the privilege of meeting you for the first time, as is likely the case with some other people in our community as well. So why don't you take a couple of minutes to tell us a bit about yourself and your journey from executive powerhouse to certified life coach, executive coach, and leadership consultant? Well, the... Cole's Notes version is my only ambition in life was to snag a man and to have as much fun as possible. Uh, I came from a troubled childhood and my parents weren't really having a ton of fun together. And so I was like, yeah, the, the meaning of life is hedonism. 
And so I got a, an impractical English philosophy undergrad and then took off on a sailboat with five guys when I was 22 for two years. I only slept with one of them and I married him. Everyone asked. And uh, um, so when we arrived back in Toronto with my uh, shitty undergrad, um, I couldn't find a job. So I went back to school and did an advertising diploma and started my career in corporate communication and marketing as an advertising copywriter in Toronto. And when I was 30, my mother died of breast cancer when she was 48. So my sister and I had this sudden feeling that life was going to be truncated and we were going to expire on exactly that date. In other words, when we were in our late 40s. So I decided, get me with child. I want to be a stay-at-home mother. Um, to heck with working all the time. And my husband, who didn't want kids at all, blanched and said, well, we can't afford for you to be a stay-at-home mother in downtown Toronto. We're going to have to move to the boonies. And I'm like, great, let's go to Ottawa or Kingston. And he found a job in Regina. So I moved here, uh, eight months pregnant with kid number two, and didn't know Seoul, had only been here once for 48 hours to buy a house, and started my career as a stay-at-home mother, and I lasted six months. So after six months, my husband came home and said, you have a job interview on Monday. And I'm like, what? So off I go to my job interview, I get the job as first editor of SAS Business Magazine, didn't know anything about Saskatchewan. And then I got a job at Farm Credit. And I thought, well, this will be a good sleepy crown to work at while I'm in the middle of small kid um, hell. And, uh, <laughs> and my, I didn't exactly take to motherhood like a dog to water. Let's put it that way. I just loved my two little critters, but Oh my God, I think being a mother is one of the hardest things on earth. So my darling husband and I started fighting all the time. And kid number two, Connor, was missing a lot of milestones and ultimately was diagnosed with autism. So my husband and I split up when the kids were five and six and work became an anesthetic. Work became a place I could... Um, drown my sorrows in in a non-alcoholic way and uh feel distracted and um felt like i was really good at it so it was a wonderful escape and when you work your ass off you're good at what you do and you um sorry about the cat when you work your ass off you're good at what you do and you play well in the sandbox with other humans guess what you keep getting promoted so despite my complete lack of ambition, I started rocketing up the ranks and I was named a VP at just before I turned 38 and a senior VP a few years later. Um, so I did that until I was 53 and thought, well, I've made it past my mother's expiry date, but I'm not getting any younger. So I want to try something more creative and, uh, hung out my own shingle as an executive coach and a speaker and a leadership consultant and that was seven and a half years ago so now you know how old I am curious to that <laughs> oh Kelly 
honestly, I, I know your story and I feel like I know your story pretty well, but every time you tell it, I just, a different piece of it resonates with me. And um, I thank you for being so candid and open and honest about your, about your narrative, about your personal, personal journey. I think we're in such a world where filters are so easy to apply and your realness is, I think, well, I know is what resonates with myself and so many other people as well. As you know, this season of Pep Talks and Prosecco, Lisa and I are, are really theming it around building your flight crew and ensuring that you have those wing women by your side. And so we're just curious, like when, when you build your flight crew and you have those wing women, what are some of the characteristics, the traits that you look for in those essential people? You know, I never thought of it that way. Um, I have been blessed beyond measure with amazing women in my life, starting with my mother. I mean, when I was 13, she said, you don't want to take home ec, do you? You can already bake bread and sew. Don't you want to take shop? And I'm like, okay. So then the principal calls and says, is Kelly a girl or a boy? And my mother goes, a girl. And he said, well, she'll be the only girl in a, in a class of 300 boys. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so he said, we can't allow it. And she said, oh, you're going to allow it. And so they have this altercation. And uh, at the end of the call, she asked for the superintendent's name. And I was the first girl who took shop with a whole bunch of boys. So I, I came from a an environment with a very strong mother. She was brilliant and creative and um, said what she thought. So she was my first huge road, role model. I would say one of the things that characterizes all of my wing women, both personal and work colleagues, many of whom have merged to become lifelong friends, is they're all really strong in their own ways. I have one friend, Anne, who's quite quiet, but she's very strong. Uh, they all seem to be quite bright and they're all driven to make a difference and completely generous of spirit. Um, be Help each other in any way possible. So I'd say those are the characteristics. Kelly, I loved what you said about identifying your mother as perhaps your first and foremost wing woman. It is so true. And I think Angie and I would share that same sentiment that our mothers and their strength and, and their teachings to us were truly those first seeds that were planted around we can be and do anything that we put our minds to, really. So that was really powerful. And we also know um, perhaps you would identify someone that we see as a wing woman, although she doesn't know that. <laughs> and one of our idols <laughs> and role models is Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we know that you've been trained to facilitate her work. And so we are dying to know what the impact of this training has had on you personally, as well as as a coach and a facilitator. Well, the funny story about becoming certified is um, I went through coaching certification in the U.S. 13 years ago with a wonderful woman named Susan Mann, who is still a wing woman, and she ultimately became co-president of Brene Brown's company. And she, um, and then she became chief learning officer and 
she's still on the senior faculty, but decided she didn't want to work eight days a week. But she started badgering me a few years ago about getting certified. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. My credential seeking behavior days are over. I think I've got enough letters under my belt. And she said, no, no, this is exactly what you espouse. It's exactly who you are. And you even remind me of Brene. And I'm like, because I'm blonde and sturdy and funny, but not famous. <laughs> and she said, yeah, kind of. So anyway, off I go to get certified. I ended up spending a whole day and a half in a room with Brene. Um, about three years ago, she had chosen 15 master facilitators from around the world. And I was lucky enough to be one of them. And she is quite serious um, much more so than you would ever detect from her podcasts or her ted talks and her books uh, but she is a formidable force and she's made a huge difference in i i think millions of people's lives her ted talk is like the third most watched in the world mm -hmm. the difference she's made to me is i thought i was really good at vulnerability which is a uh, cornerstone of her work. So you talked about how I'm so real, which is something I've been told all my life. And I've quite prided myself on, especially after I became an executive, when I think a lot of executives put on the mantle of power and start shifting or masking who they really are. And I was never able to do that. Um, but I equated vulnerability with oversharing and which is one of the myths of vulnerability that Brene talks about. And because I'm highly analytical, I'm not, I realized going through her certification as well as a bunch of other work I've done, that I'm not really fantastic at sitting with uncomfortable feelings. I would way rather analyze the uncomfortable feeling than allow myself to feel it. And apparently, you know, what you resist persists, as Carl Jung says. So you have to actually allow yourself to feel the annoying feeling or the distressing feeling in order to move through it. So uh, I have many, many examples of how my life has shifted from learning her work and teaching it. I never get tired of teaching it. And I think it has... Uh, deepened me as a person and made me a better coach um, because I think I am now able to sit with others' uncomfortable feelings more uh, in a more patient way than perhaps before, whereas perhaps before I might wanted to try and save them. I hear that. Oh, Kelly, freaking Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not speechless very often but you and me on the verge of that the cusp of that I'm hanging on every single word okay um, what do you want <laughs> what do I want well <laughs> we'll do that off the air um, yeah, okay. <laughs> there might be another <laughs> ask coming um I this is this is what I admire about you and there there are so many things um you speak about your experience and you speak it with such um such genuine as it as you have a responsibility to take that experience and learn from it mm. as opposed to an elitist opportunity and 
you say that with such um, state of humble that it, it um, it's rare. I, I, I don't know many people that would have an experience such as you've had, which probably makes it very clear why you were one of 14 others that were selected to have the experience that, that you were able to participate in. So I'm really, really curious. You've been um, executive coaching, you've done life coaching, you've had an intimate opportunity with one of the biggest gurus um, known right now, and especially around that topic of vulnerability with Brene Brown. Is there a certain coaching theme or facilitation topic that when you, when you get asked to talk about it or to present around it, that you're just licking your chops and you're, you just can't <laughs> wait to sink your teeth into that opportunity? Well, I mean, there are so many. Um, I think one of the things that has really thunderstruck me over the years is no matter how people present, no matter how confident, how credentialed, how lauded they are for everything they've uh, done, that we're all just messy humans inside. And so I would say virtually every coaching client I have worked with has some inner dragons that plague them and claw at their confidence or their um, sense of inner peace or e equilibrium. And one of the things I've noticed is people tend to ricochet between internalizing all the blame or externalizing it all. So I'll start working with a client and they might be someone who internalizes it all. So they'll tell me what's going on at work, what their coaching issue is, and they are doing the self-flagellation thing. I, I suck, I've always sucked, I always will suck, even though they don't use those words necessarily. And in other words, there's no hope for them, but can I help them? Um, and another cadre of clients are into the, squarely at the other end of the spectrum, and it's everybody else's fault. So they're a victim, other people aren't treating them fairly, um, other people get more breaks than them, pick a story. Uh, some people in the same session will swing back and forth between both poles, but I have noticed people tend to sort of gravitate towards one or the other. And the more we can understand that as a pattern of reaction, the better chance we have of sitting back and being curious about it and interrupting the pattern. And so until you can notice what the pattern is, you don't have a prayer of dealing with it. Once you notice what the pattern is, if you can detach your own self from it, which is difficult to do because you're the one exhibiting the pattern, and be curious long enough to figure out what's my part to play in this, then you might be able to shift things. So this is related to a practice that Brene calls the shitty first draft. Uh, which I just love. She calls it the sto stormy first draft if she's dealing with people who don't swear or kids. And so the shitty first draft is about exactly that. It's about understanding your part to play in the drama that is occurring in your life. So um, you go to a meeting with your boss, you have to do a presentation at the meeting, you think it goes pretty well, you can't really get any cues from your boss, 
he or she is either looking down or not saying anything. So you're feeling, okay, that went pretty good. So you leave the meeting with your boss and you say to her, I thought that went pretty good. Well, did you? And she goes, I'm glad you think so, and stomps off down the hall. In the first 15 steps back to your office, you will have created a shitty first draft interpreting what she has said and what it means. And um, so the important thing about a shitty first draft is to write it down as quickly as possible and in a way that is not fit for human consumption from anyone else. And so in other words, be raw and honest. And then you separate fact from interpretation. Well, inevitably, there are very few facts. The fact is you went to a meeting, you presented, your boss didn't say anything, and then when you left, she said this thing. That's the end of the facts. The interpretation is rich with all kinds of adjectives. Uh, so what's useful about the shitty first draft isn't so much the first draft. It's do, getting in the habit of doing it and then noticing the patterns. So if your pattern is often, oh my God, I'm going to get fired, that's more about you than it is different situations that you have encountered. And so separating the fact from interpretation and then um, deciding how, what you're going to do then with that information. What else do you need to be curious about? Do you need to go and talk to your boss and ask uh, what she thought before you continue to ruminate about how awful uh, those kinds of things. I love that. And I need to tell you that I could have used this shitty first draft activity a couple of times in my own, in my past, in my own career. And I know that many clients that we work with, um, this would be an outstanding activity or exercise, something to think about. So you know, maybe you want to continue on down this topic or um, we can change directions as well. But I'm, I'm curious if there's a piece of advice, like one piece of advice or an activity aside from this one that you just mentioned that you'd be willing to share with our community or even maybe take Angie and I through, um, you know, that that you think would have an impact on us or our community. Maybe it's helping us slay those dragons that you talk about or another activity or exercise that, that you think is just really powerful in the work that you do. Her grin so, makes me nervous right now. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of my favorite ones, um, the genesis of which was from Brene Brown, but I sort of adapted is Brene talks about how um, shame is one of the things that we all experience unless we are a sociopath. And so most of us equate that word with something monumental like adultery or murder or something massive. And she says it, it can happen in micro moments. You're, you're in a meeting and you're asked what the answer to something is or how you came up with your um, viewpoint and you don't have an answer and you flush and you feel stupid and um, some things start going through your head. Oh my God, I'm so stupid. Oh, I should have thought of that. Oh my God. You know, we all have these things beaking in our head. So um, if you think of that as the voice in your head, and you do an exercise to discern what are the common voices in your head. And um, 
which is the loudest one. So when you think of shame, shame is called um, the universal emotion and the not enough emotion. And so often the voices in the head are related to enoughness. I'm not smart enough. I'm not quick enough. I'm not good enough. Pick a story. Um, so one of the exercises I do routinely with groups or individual coaching clients is to have them write down the voices in their head. And then, so do you want to do that? We'll do it. Yes. Okay. So what are some of the voices in your head? I'll share a couple of mine okay. to get you started. Perfect. Buy so, us some time, Kelly. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, clever facilitation technique. Help the audience feel better. Um, so one of mine is I don't belong. Uh, so as a kid, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. I was the smartest kid in the class till grade eight, uh, and was always in the front row. So I, because I was disruptive and funny and always had my work done first. So the teacher had to keep an eye on me. Um, I didn't have many friends. Um, and I wasn't allowed to have friends over because my mother, uh, would say, I don't know what kind of mood I'm going to be in which was kind of a good point. Uh, so I just felt like I didn't really belong as a kid. And then um, as an adult, in various ways, I ended up being the only woman on the sailboat, the only woman on an executive team for 10 years, um, the only one in the executive cadre who was not uh, heading up a quantitative area like law or uh, agricultural science or accounting or those things. I, I had sort of organic, creative um, English literature and a master of arts and leadership, you know, sort of esoteric things. So I, one of my voices is I don't belong. Hmm. Okay, I can go. Thanks, Kelly. Okay. I was listening and formulating my <laughs> response at the same time. because I was even feeling this response um, uh, during uh, this interview today as well. And mine is around not being smart enough because I am somebody who needs to process and to reflect. And I feel when I'm in situations that a response is expected, um, some, sometimes that's self-imposed. Sometimes it's very real that a response from me is expected that I have to articulate something or produce something very quickly when I don't feel um, that my smartness is in the moment. My smartness occurs when I've had time to think and ruminate. And so I, I've struggled with that um, as a student. I've struggled with that in so many different uh, scenarios. And even to this day, like I said today, doing this, there's, there's components that I'm just like, am I smart enough to be having this level of conversation with someone like Kelly Garrett? And I know that's, oh, an, Angie, that's an Angie narrative that's going on. I know you would never, I know that, like I know you would never put that upon me, but that, that's definitely something that I rumble with and struggle with to this day. And so how does the not smart enough narrative hold you back? Or does it? Yeah, it does. Because sometimes when I feel like I need to respond in the moment, I'll give an answer. And then when I have time to process it in the way that I know my best work and thoughts come true, I feel like it's too late. Because I've already said something or I've done something. 
So my time of opportunity has passed. And therefore, so therefore the ship has sailed for me. So then I become quiet and then resentment sets in. So, you know, it's a real, it's a real fun thing that goes from there. So. <laughs> Great. What about you, Lisa? It's interesting because I can, re I can relate to both of you and, and say that those are both narratives that I've had and still hold that I don't fit in and I don't belong. Um, and couple that with, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough to be involved in whatever it is that I'm involved in, you know? So um, it, there's a lot of that um, imposter syndrome that happens with me. Like when you talked about um, Kelly, you know, moving up in, in your organization, right? Um, you know, I sometimes stop and think, how am I, how am I, how was I a principal? How am I a superintendent? How am I, because I don't believe that I'm, I'm smart enough to, to be in a position like that. And so similar to what Angie said, there are times when I will find myself in a meeting or um, be called upon and suddenly feel like I'm not articulate enough or I don't know this topic well enough to be able to speak on it and sound intelligent about that. And it also shows up in um, social situations where I'm, I'm nervous about going to um, say an event or a meeting by myself. I often need that wing woman beside me, I feel, um, because I can defer those conversations or deflect things to another person um, because I, I, I don't feel like I'm, you know, um, belong there. I don't feel like, right. like I'll fit in or people will welcome me. So how do your voices hold you back? Definitely, I think um, when it comes to taking risks, and especially when it comes to meeting new people or networking, um, you know, I, I think people may in the past or maybe still perceive me as um, not friendly or stuck up when meeting new people. But oh my really, God, I can't imagine that. I'm, you know, I'm nervous about saying the right thing, doing the, you know, doing the right thing and, and wanting people to like me because it's, I don't fit in, right? That's the narrative yeah. I tell myself. Yeah. So one of the exercises that I do with people once they've identified the voice and how it holds them back, there's a wonderful coach in the U.S. by the name of Gretchen Pisano, and she says you should fire every thought in your head and make them audition for the position. And so many of the voices in our heads were developed at a much younger age when they may have actually protected us and helped serve us. So maybe we were bullied as a child, and so not speaking up was a useful um, way to cope, but it's not useful anymore. Um, maybe feeling like I didn't belong um, was natural, but it's not serving me anymore. So what I've done with that thought is I fired it, and I have hired a replacement thought, which is I go to the sound of my own drummer. I'm not everyone's cup of tea, and that's okay. I have my wing women and my tribe, and I'm happy with my circle and my place in the world, and I belong where I want to belong. So that's an example of firing a thought that is no longer helpful and not serving you, if you want to use coach lingo 
and replacing it by hiring a new thought that will um, be in sync with your new reality and also what you want to manifest. So Angie, how might you replace not smart enough? If you fired that sucker and you hired a replacement thought, what would it be? Okay, so this is what I'm doing right now. I'm going into my mode going, uh, what do I say? What do I say? How do I respond to this? Because I know in like 30 minutes from now, I'll have a freaking brilliant answer. Well, then. And so now what? I go into panic mode. So help well, me out. I, well, one of your inner mantras might be, I don't need to answer right away. Oh, so yeah, I can feel I, my shoulders going down already. So I can come up with a few. Um, phrases that I have in my back pocket that when I am asked something and I'm not ready, I can summon so that I can answer. So when I say, so what might you replace it with, Angie? You might say, that's a really good question and I'm going to reflect on that. I'll let you know. That's perfectly fine. There are very few things we have to do at work or in life where you have to answer right now. The extroverts like me are like, Thinking about it isn't going to make it better for me. <laughs> so I'm going to tuck it in my bucket. Okay. Bucket. So Lisa, um, how might you replace yours? Pick one of them. Well, I think with, you know, fitting in, I think it's, you know, again, I'm, I'm the same as you, Angie, the articulation. I want to like edit myself before I say it out loud. Right. But I think it's, I belong here. Yeah. Mm, I like that. And I'm worthy of, of being at this table or being in this space. Yes. Yes, completely. And Brene Brown talks a lot about worthiness, right? That inherently we all are worthy. Uh, it's not about what we've accomplished or what title we hold inherently and intrinsically as we are exactly as we are with all our flaws. Cause we're all human. So we all have flaws. We're worthy. Mm -hmm. All right. Smarty pants. <laughs> yeah. I, I need to know, like, seriously, I have like sweaty palms right now, which is so good. Cause I always feel like the best gains come from being, uh, um, facing and embracing discomfort. And you've definitely caused a bit of that for me. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. I am. I mean, you know, you, at, you ask for growth, then you can't expect sameness, right? So, so Lisa and I do a lot of work around habit building. It's a core piece of the coaching that we do, um, workshops that we have, courses that we've created. Um, and I'm just curious, are there a couple habits, or maybe there's one habit, Kelly, that you can identify that really you lean into um, that has helped you become this version of Kelly Garrett as we get the honor and privilege of spending time with today? Well, I have a lot of habits and they're not all good. Um, <laughs> well, we'll get to that part. We'll Don't worry. <laughs> so one of the habits that has ended up not being that good is that got me where I am was I was an absolute workaholic. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, the realizing that work was a very effective anesthetic against sorrow and against ruminating and worrying about Connor's future uh, or what have you. Um, 
and then becoming very senior where there is way too much work to do, I just worked all the time. And so one of my habits was to do that work all the time. And it's, it's a hard habit to break. So I, I work for me now. Uh, I'm my own boss and my standards are still exacting. So I have more empathy for the people who used to report to me. And it's really hard for me not to work every day. So that's one of my habits. Um, I would say one of my more positive habits uh, is that I have always been super fascinated and curious about how I can be the best version I can be since I was a kid. And when I was a younger person, that didn't always manifest itself terribly productively because when we're idealistic, we can become quite self-righteous. And so at the executive table, I could be quite judgy about my peers in terms of thinking they weren't uh, caring enough about employee engagement that I was really good at and my numbers were higher. Or pick a story. I had a rational reason for my judgment to, to shore up my view of myself. Um, so it's fine to be idealistic and it's fine to strive to be the best you can be. It's not fine to um, have that morph into judgment and a feeling of superiority, which I realized in retrospect through a con combination of therapy and coaching was actually just my efforts at shoring up my self-esteem. So often when you feel judged by someone else or someone else is kind of lording it over you, they actually may be coming from a place where they need to do that to make themselves feel better about themselves. So one of the things that I love in terms of my habits is I'm a voracious reader. I'm uh, writing this book about how to tune into your higher self, how to become the best version of you you can be, which is not at all the same as being perfect, which I'm still late to the party on that knowledge. Um, so the habit of reading and being curious and truly wanting feedback from other people that I often found hurtful and destructive in the moment, but then would go away and reflect upon and learn something from. I, I think that's a habit that has served me well. That can be really long-winded, eh? It's perfect. It, that was absolutely perfect. There's so many nuggets to pull out of what you just said around, um, you know, being vulnerable to feedback and being willing to hear it reflect on it and and make change if, if that's what's necessary. I loved what you said about learning and growing and never stopping. Um, I don't know, Angie, I hate to say it because I just want to continue on with this conversation <laughs> for, for hours. Um, but we want to put you a little bit in the hot seat. Yes, we do. I'm going to get my little timer ready here. We have some questions here for you and um i think you said you were competitive a little bit did you not say that kelly at one point or did i dream no i didn't you? but i've been told <laughs> okay. I, am, and I accept it <laughs> okay so we go ahead sorry were you gonna say something angie no i just i'm just so happy i just <laughs> you just brought so much joy kelly to our to our day here so i'm just 
Super happy. Hey, incredibly great. Ply me, ply me with a good Prosecco and I'll do it all the time. <laughs> well, I was going to, I was actually going to say, um, you know, before we sign off here today and we'll have to do hot seat here. Um, we just want to, we just want you to uh, maybe make a commitment with us that this won't be your only appearance. And um, Done. okay, perfect. Hope so. Permagrin. All right. I'm ready. Whenever you guys are ready. So we're going to put you in the hot seat. Kelly, we, you have one minute. We're going to ask you 10 questions and we'll see how you do. Are you ready? Here we go. Go. Okay. Finish this statement. Every effective leader cares more about how they do work than what work they do. Favorite movie? Fried green tomatoes. What advice would you give your teenage self? It's, there's more to life than finding a man. Bucket list destination? Bali. Oh, yes. What brings you joy? Gardening. Your favorite song? White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. What's a pet peeve that you have? People who are unkind. What is a bad habit that you just can't shake? Drinking too much wine. <laughs> Your favorite habit that you can't live without? Coffee with my cat in the morning. Mm -hmm. Who inspires you? Connor, my son with autism and his brother, Max, who is so kind to Connor. Awesome. Oh. Well done. You did awesome, Kelly. Like, I mean, you were a little over the 60 seconds, but like, I don't know. I think your answers maybe buy you some bonus time off. So there you go. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share with our community here. Kelly mentions her two magnificent kids. And um, a long time ago, a long time ago, folks, there was an ad in the local newspaper that said, Mary Poppins, we need you and to, to come and be a nanny. And I responded to that ad and um, Kelly and her husband at the time were the people that were placing that ad. And when she mentions those two boys, I mean, I haven't seen them in person for a very long time, but I'm telling you, they hold such a dear and near spot in my heart. So they inspire me too. So I can see why this mama here, Kelly, is so darn inspired by those two boys. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly, well, we can't, oh, go ahead, Lise. Go ahead. Well, Kelly, I was just going to say that it is an absolute privilege to get to know you. And I seriously could have sat and listened to you talk all afternoon. You are full of wisdom and joy and you're fun. And personally, I don't think drinking too much wine is a bad habit at all. <laughs> but we digress. So thank you so much for coming and chatting with us on Pep Talks and Prosecco this afternoon. Well, and I'm so proud of you two. Like, what a groovy endeavor this is. Oh, groovy. We haven't been called groovy yet. <laughs> I, I like it. Like it. I I'm showing it. my age. Cheers <laughs> to you, Kelly. Thanks so much. This has been so much fun. We've learned so much. Thank you so much for being on Pep Talks and Prosecco. Cheers. Cheers. Yay. Oh, man. That was... 
I, I'm speechless. Like, I don't even really know what to say, except that I am so grateful that she has agreed to be a repeat guest on Pep Talks and Prosecco. She just spoke so much to my heart. And I know that you and I have had conversations around um, that enoughness, Mm -hmm. right? And the story that we tell ourselves, that internal dialogue. And I just think she has mastered some strategies and some ways to work with us to to own our stories and own that internal dialogue and I am just oh I'm so grateful that she's one of our wing women and a part of our flight crew and I don't know Angie I think I should give you the final word because you brought this amazing woman into our life and I just I'm so grateful to you and you know you told me about Kelly a while back and just said we need to talk to Kelly. She will be an incredible mentor for us. And you are absolutely right, my friend. Okay, well, I'll, I'll land the plane on this episode. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a little toast. Cheers to shitty first drops. Cheers to that one. Cheers, everyone. See you next time on Pet Talks and Prosecco. Hold the freaking presses. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are you guys getting a little bit tired about feeling stuck all the time? Guess what? Lisa and I have been stuck many, many times. So many times. And we found ways to get unstuck. So Lisa, tell them how we can help them out. Well, we want to be your wing women by offering you a 30 minute free virtual consultation with us. So if that sounds something like you're interested in, head on over to our website, weatherwell.com and sign up for that consultation today. Cheers. Cheers.